You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church of Savannah. A sermon from our series entitled Walk by Faith. For more information, visit us at cbcsavannah.com. You guys know by now, if you've been here for a while, I'm, I'm kind of a movie guy. A couple, like my kids and I, we like movies, you know, and, and all sorts of different types of movies. And there's those movies that, you know, with that, there's that little twist, but you kind of see it coming where the good guy ends up really being the bad guy, right? And that's kind of an old, tired, you know, deal, right? But what's kind of the more fun twist is when the bad guy actually becomes the good guy. Right? And there's some you know, kind of famous in literature and in movies, the bad guys that turn good guys. You got the Ebenezer Scrooges of the world, right? Bad guy turned good. For you kind of romantics, it's Mr. Darcy. Right? Mr. Darcy, kind of a you know, bad guy, but he, in the end, he's the real good guy. If you don't know who that is, your wife, you, wives, you got to move on that one, right? Show them the PBS version. Um, you got the, the T-Rex from Jurassic Park, which is kind of a twisted one. But yeah, he, he still will eat you, but he'll save you in the end. Right? He's kind of the, the baddie turned goody. You got for you Harry Potter witchcraft people, you know, uh, Severus Snape. I don't know who that is. I've never got into Harry Potter. Not because I think it's witchcraft, just because I think it's dumb. But that's another story. <laughs> um, and then there's the best of them all. The, the, the king of all baddies turned good, Darth Vader. Of all, yes, of course. So, yeah, he's, he's the best, right? right? He saves the galaxy. I know he killed like most of the galaxy first, but he saves the galaxy in the end. Uh, today we're going to look at not quite such an evil person as Darth Vader, but we're going to look at a baddie turned goody, right? Someone who, if you look at her, she's, she's not a hero. She, she's not someone you want to emulate, not up to this point, but she ends up becoming the hero of the story, one that is honored several times throughout the scripture, right? And that's not how she starts. It's the, it's the story of a shady lady and her name is Rahab. And so we're going to be unpacking kind of her story this morning um, as we've been kind of going through Hebrews 11 and, and, and seeing what faith looks like as it's lived out, right? The Hall of Fame of Faith, Hebrews 11, and here's a lady who finds herself there. And, and we're just kind of unpacking just different aspects of what it means to walk by faith. And so there's some great lessons that this, this lady who we will meet in heaven can encourage with us, us with as we kind of walk through her story. So we're going to start briefly in Hebrews 11. I'll kind of read the r- little brief snippet that we get there, and then we'll turn to Joshua 2 and unpack her story, okay? So here's what the writer to the Hebrews says. He says, by faith, and that's how it always starts, right? By faith, Abraham. By faith, Moses. By faith, Joshua. By faith, Rahab the prostitute. And then this is, you, you got to own that, right? I mean, that's every time except for one in the scripture she's mentioned, this is how she's mentioned. Now, I don't know if when we get to heaven, we're going to be like, hey, there's the shady lady. What up, Rahab? Right? Don't think so. But it highlights every time her past, right? Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient. Why? Because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies, right? A friendly welcome. Um, and so her story is told, it, it takes place, you know, 1,400 years before Hebrews 11 is written in Joshua chapter 2. So if you're familiar with the Bible, you're kind of like, yeah, I know this story. If you're not, this will be a, a kind of a, a great one for you to get under your belt. But turn your Bibles, if you have them, to Joshua 2. Kind of flip back to the, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, all right? Sixth book of the Bible, I think, six. And, and this is the story, kind of context-wise, if you kind of, you know, you're kind of like, I don't understand how the Bible's put together. The book of Joshua is the Israelites kind of moving into the land of Israel. 
of land of Canaan. Okay, so depending on what generation you're from, Charlton Heston, Val Kilmer, one of those two, takes the people of, of Israel through the desert and they get to the Jordan River. Moses sends 12 spies into the land. And those 12 spies go in and, and they look around the land and they come back and 10 of them are like, there's no way we can do this. People are big, armies, walls, all this thing. We can't do this. And two of them, Joshua and Caleb, say, no, no, we absolutely can. We absolutely must. But the people side with the 10. And so God says, okay, you don't want to go in? Fine. And they go out to the desert for 40 years and they walk for 40 years. I'm 44. I'm just thinking about that just contextually. I'm like, imagine walking through the desert for 40 years until everybody over a certain age dies. And then all those folks that are all grumpy are like, we don't want to go in. They're gone. And all the young people are here. And so they go back and they find themselves back in the same place. Right? And we'll see if they learn the lesson. And so we pick that up in Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly. All right? So here's this spy action from Siddim to his as spies saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. Right? So kind of go in. Right? They got to go to Jericho first because it kind of splits the land north and south. It's not a big city. It's about nine acres, but it's a military outpost, and they got to take it first because then they can kind of go north from there and south from there. Very strategic city. So he says, go spy out the land. And so they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab. And I'm, you know, just thinking about the wives back home. Like, you did what? So explain. You get some explaining to do, Lucy, right? But it's just, this is what happens. God's providence leads them to Rahab's house. And it was told, verse 2, to the king of Jericho, behold, men of Israel have come tonight to search out the land. The Tom Cruise Mission Impossible spies, they are not. Everybody knows who they are and where they are. So they're not great spies. They're like Dan Aykroyd and Chevy Chase. Okay? <laughs> Some of you get that reference. Right? Some of you are like, what does that mean? You can Google it. Everyone knows they're... Okay. So bad spies... Everyone knows where they are, and so you kind of out of the, your, your watch as if this is a suspense thriller movie, it's kind of the quiet of the night, it's dark, everyone's gone to bed, verse 3, and the king of Jericho said to Rahab, there's this bang on the door, bring the men out who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out the land, right? And so it's just, what's going to happen? Verse 4, but the women had taken the two men and hidden them. She's one step ahead of the king. She said, true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. She's kind of playing dumb. And, and when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I don't know where the men went. Pursue them. You'll find them. You run after them. They came here. I'm just an honest business girl. It's, it's possible that her house was actually extra biblical kind of literature says that her house was also an inn, like a little motel, right? The, the no-tell motel, obviously. But uh, so she, <laughs> that won't make it in the second service. Okay. Y'all are lucky on that one. All right. Um, so they're in this little one. It's probably a one. Don't think, you know, four bedroom, you know, room three, room four. Think one room. Right? Think small little room. Um, and, and that's where they're at. And so they probably came. Oh, they were here. Now they're gone. Right? And so the tension in the story builds. And, and you get this little snapshot, verse six. But she had brought them to the roof. So it's kind of like, you know, you're seeing them at the door, and, and then there's this tension. And then you see the second picture, and you see these guys hiding under the flax. And flax is just something that they grew, and then they'd pour water on it, and they'd lay it flat, and the fibers would kind of stretch out, and they'd make linen cloth. So it's up on the roof. And so you, you kind of see them hiding. Don't wait. Don't break. 
They can't hear what's going on. They just hear like downstairs. And they're wondering, is this it? Are we done? And, and you're wondering, your heart's racing. What, what's going to happen? And verse 7, they bought it. Okay. So the men pursued after them on the way to Jordan as far as the fords. And the gate was shut soon as the pursuers had gone out. So we, got, we escaped that immediate danger. But now we got another problem. What's our problem? How are we going to get out? How do we get out? Because we can't just put like, you know, mustache and wig and, you know, little glasses on and just stroll out. City's on high alert. They know they're somewhere. They're trapped. So how do they get out? But here's what the narrator, do, narrator does. It's beautiful. He doesn't tell you. He stops the story. Right? He stops it. And then because he wants you to know something else. The entire reason this story is actually even in the book of Joshua. If you look at the structure of the book of Joshua, you can go right from chapter 1 to chapter 3 and miss nothing. It's a continuation. Chapter 2 is actually a parenthesis. You don't, it doesn't add to or take away from the story. But what God does is he has Joshua kind of insert this because there's a huge, huge thing going on here that God is doing. And it's this, this really these next few verses, what Rahab is going to say. Because it explains why is it she's hiding these guys. I mean, Why? Why is she risking her life, risking her family's life for these enemies? Great question. And she's going to answer it. Verse 8. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men. And here's a couple. I'm just going to make some observations as we work through this text. First one. I know that the Lord. You see how that in, in the ESV is capitalized, some of your versions it is. When you see that capitalized L-O-R-D, that means it's the Hebrew word Yahweh. Several words for Lord, Adonai, Elohim, all these things. But this one is the covenant name that the people of Israel called God. And, and she uses it. So she's calling God by his covenant name. That's significant. She says, we know, I know that the Lord has given. This is a Hebrew tense. That it, it's a completed action. She's like, it's done. The, your God has already given you the land. You're not even in it yet. And it's yours. And that the fear of the Lord has fallen upon us. And that all the inhabitants of the land, hearts have melted away before you. Why? Because we've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when he came out of Egypt, and what you did to the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, who you devoted to destruction. So we heard all that God had done. And this is significant, y'all, because this, what they heard took place 40 years earlier. 40 years it's been since the, the Red Sea. 40 years since the plagues. 40 years since Balaam and the donkey and that whole story with Og and Sihon when, when he tries to curse him and he can't curse him and God keeps blessing and blessing and blessing. 40 years and they're still talking about it. They've been thinking about this for 40 years as the people of Israel are doing laps in the desert. Wondering, are they coming? Are they, what's going on? Right? And so here's her conclusion based on all these things. Verse 11. This is, this is the most critical verse. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. There was no spirit left in any man because of you. Why? For the Lord your God. There it is again. Covenant name of God. The Lord your God. He is God in the heavens above and on earth beneath. Because of what she's heard, because of all the things that she's, she's been hearing coming out of the desert, she has come to the conclusion that the God of Israel is the one true God. Not one of the pantheon of Canaanite gods, that he is Lord of heaven and earth. He is sovereign, that he is the creator, that he has all these things. Huge. And here's a girl, y'all. Shady lady, did not grow up in middle school Bible class, didn't go to VBS, didn't have the King James Version, didn't have our daily bread devotions every day. 
Maybe, because, I mean, if you think about the career path she's chosen, maybe she grew up an orphan. Maybe she didn't have a dad. Who knows? She's got a bad past. And she has come to the conclusion, based on hearing about the mighty acts of God, that he is God. And she is actually, if you look at it, the irony is the people of Israel doubt their God. The Canaanite prostitute, by the way, a Canaanite prostitute was the lowest of the low in that culture. There's nobody lower. She is speaking like a covenant member of God's community. She is speaking like the people of Israel. And she doesn't just leave it there, verse 13, verse 12 and 13. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly, that I've, this is the word hesed, covenant faithfulness of God, that as I've dealt kindly with you, you will deal kindly with my father's house. Give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. She doesn't just know that God is God. This is is key to the passage. She does something about it. She responds to it. On the one hand, she trembles before the mighty God and his mighty acts. And at the same time, she senses that there might be grace and mercy in this God. And so she appeals to his hesed, his covenant faithfulness. What she's asking is, "I I want to be part of the people of God. I want to be part of this covenant community. You can hear the passion. Save us. Swear to me. Deliver us. And what's kind of sad when, you know, I've kind of read through the commentaries and all the, you know, read a bunch of sermons this week on this passage. And everyone wants to talk about how Rahab lied. Bad Rahab. She lied to the king. Bad Rahab, right? And there's all this, you know, pages and pages spilt. No one cares the fact that the spies are lying, right? That's the nature of a spy, right? They're, they kind of are deceitful. No one mentions that spying is lying, but po- wicked Rahab is lying, right? And they're so caught up with the lie of Rahab. By the way, it's wartime. That's kind of how war works. But they're so caught up with Rahab's lie that they miss the point of the text, which is Rahab's truth. It's kind of like a husband comes home. His wife's all... Makeup, earrings, candles on the table, kids are nowhere to be found, dog is locked in the garage, right? Nice plates and the wine glasses are out and there's, you know, smells great. And he looks down, and he looks, down, he looks at his wife in the dress and he looks down and he says, you know, you, you're using the wrong forks. He kind of misses the point, right? That, when we're all caught up with, oh yeah, Rahab lied to the king, it misses the point that Joshua is trying to say, Right? No one's endorsing lying. No one's saying that. But what the point is, the one who is bad, the bad guy, the one if she walked into the church this morning and she sat next to you or if she came up and there's like two seats, you know, and you get this all the time because you don't like sitting next to people. Some of you are like still that weird, you know, like even though there's a little divider, you still don't like it, but you know, you're fine because we're in church and I'll be nice for one day. But, but the person's like, they see two chairs and they're like, they look at you like, and you don't look at them because you know they're asking. You're like ignoring them, but they look at you. Can we sit there? If she came down and did that, you'd be like, I got kids somewhere. Some, they're coming. I got friends I invited. That, that's this girl. And she is the hero. And understand this, y'all. I think she gets what it means to be a disciple a lot better than most of us do. Right? Jesus says this in Mark chapter 8. We know this passage. We've heard it. Calling the crowd to him, he says, if anyone wants to come after me, let him do what? Deny himself, take up his cross, 
and follow me. Here's the explanation. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. This is where she's living. She knows destruction's coming. She believes it. She's heard it. Now she has a choice. Should I save my life? What does Jesus say? Whoever wants to save his life. She can save her life now. She can sell out the spies and live for a few days. And then ultimately lose it. Or she can risk it all now. Risk losing it now. But in the end, because of the grace and mercy of God, she finds life. That's, that, she's living that. We, you know, kind of in our little culture, you know, it doesn't cost much to come to church. A couple hours. But she gets discipleship. And the choice she makes is, I will risk it all now for the sake of the future. That's where she goes in verse 14. So the men said, deal, right? We got it. Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, you got to keep your mouth shut, Rahab, quiet. And then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly. We will show you hesed. We'll show you grace. We'll be faithful with you. Verse 15. She let them, <coughs> excuse me, she let them down by a rope. Now we come back to the kind of, how does she get, how are they going to get out? She let them down by a rope through the window for her house was built into the city wall. So we find out she's got a little apartment on the wall. And she puts a little rope out. They go down the rope. And she said, go into the hills. Or our pursuers will encounter you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned and then go after your way. So that's what they do. So they go. And then they say, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window. Through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house, your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's house. Don't go anywhere. Get everyone in the room, put this cord in the window, and then we will know that it's you and you will be saved. If anyone goes out the doors of your house to the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we will be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone in the house, his blood will be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless in respect to your oath that you have made us swear said, according to your word, so be it. And she sent them away. They departed. And she tied immediately. She ties the scarlet cord in the window. She goes public. Puts it out. And I'm wondering if people are like, hey, what's that cord hanging out? You're like, oh, it's just beautiful, pretty decoration. I don't know. Somebody obviously saw it. Verse 22. So they go, and they go back to the hills, remain three days until the pursuer returned. They searched all along the way, found nothing. The two men returned. They came down from the hills, passed over, and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him all that had happened to them. Imagine that story. Joshua, you can believe it, man. We go into Jericho. We went into the prostitute's house. What? Yeah. Wait, wait. Let us get to the end. This prostitute, she shows us there. She, becomes, she wants to be one of us. She saves us. She lies to the king. She explained the whole thing. But look at their conclusion. Truly, the Lord has given the land into our hands. Also, all the inhabitants of the land's heart melt away because of us. It's just another one of God's just like dropping his evidences of his faithfulness there. He doesn't have to do it, but just like with Gideon, when they go down into the tent, you know, they go down into the, into the little uh, camp out and they hear these people talking about the dream that they had and how they're going to lose. It's just God testifying again, I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do. And our God delights to just affirm our obedience and affirm our faith. And some dropped little instances of faithfulness, little signs of this, little, little moments of grace in our life. And that's what he does for them. Right? And so, you, and then at the end of the story, and you kind of know what happens if you know, you know, familiar with the scripture. A couple chapters later, Israel walks around the city one time for six days. On the seventh day, they walk seven times. They yell real loud. The walls come crumbling down. Rahab and her family are saved. Right? So, so what, is, what can we learn from this lady's story? 
right? It's kind of a radical story, kind of a dramatic, you know, doesn't, don't see things happen like this necessarily this day. But let's, let's kind of, let me give you three big picture thoughts, two of which are found in the New Testament. And then we'll just respond through worship and through the table. Here's the first one. All right. Uh, respond to what you know. A walk of faith, living by faith, is not about how much you know intellectually. It is how, what you do with what you know. All right? She's not honored for being a theologian. She is honored for responding to the truth that she has been given. And, and you've got to ask, how much, how much did she really know? Not a lot. Not as much as you know. All she has heard is, you know, ten plagues, Red Sea, kings destroyed, miracle bread in, in, the, in the wilderness maybe. She, she has very little information. No Bible, no Sunday school teacher, no evangelists, no nothing. Yet she responds. Even see it. She just hears about it. And, and here's the thing everybody in Jericho has the same info, right? Everyone's heard it. In fact, she highlights we have heard, we have heard, we have heard. Yet she is the only one who responds. That's huge. And her response is what shows that she has faith. Faith is, y'all, this is so important for us to get in the South, in the culture that we live in. Faith is not just assenting to the facts, right? I mean, obviously, that's a piece of it, but it's a response to that which you have believed. It's not seen in your intellect. It's how you respond to it. This is why the writer of James, the half-brother of Jesus, says this, in the same way was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them away. He's not saying she gets to heaven by sending the spies out. James's whole focus is what does faith look like when it's lived out? Paul in Romans is talking about how am I justified. So when he says you're justified by, by faith, he's talking about before God. James is talking about justified before men. How do people know that you're the real deal? And he says, here's how we knew Rahab the prostitute was justified. Because she sent the messengers away. It was her actions that proved her faith. How do we know? She sent it out. And she, it's all based on what she heard. Faith comes from hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. So she hears she responds. She goes public. She puts out the little cord. She acts. She risks it all. And, and we've come to a place in the church that, that maturity is how much you know. I can spout off all this stuff. I, I can tell you all the whatever. I can explain and debate with you. That's fine. But maturity in the scripture, walking by faith in the scripture, is not typically head knowledge. It's how do I live in light of what I got? And she lives it, she goes all out with the little that she's got. Bond to what you know. Faith is, like we said earlier, it's just taking God at his word. Not just for the gospel, not just to come to faith, that's the peace. But then to walk by faith, because that's what we want. Walking by faith. And so we know that God says, I want you to live honestly. Right? That's one of the big ten, don't lie. So we know that. Which means, you're a business owner. Walking by faith for you means you're not fudging stuff. Yeah, the IRS is this, it's not the You're not cheating. That, that's, that's walking by faith, very simply. Right? Or if you're a high school student and you're like, man, I, I need a good grade on this, on this test because my, and the guy next to you is like, hey, what's number three? And you're like, I don't know, but what's number four? There's that temptation. Walking by faith is I will rather take a D or an F than lose my integrity. That's walking by faith. It's real simple. 
or high school students, let's go a little further because I'm a parent of a teenager, it's not you having five Finsta accounts so that you can hide stuff for your parents, right? And all the kid, teenagers are like, I ain't got one, right? Or having, here's another one we've discovered in the Fowler household. When you, you take the phone as a punishment, there's not a backup phone or a backup iPod. Parents, you better start digging. I'm just telling. I'm hinting this hints. All the teenagers are running home after. I'm not going to Sunday school today. I'm It's, that's walking by faith. Yes, I know everybody does it. I've heard that argument a lot. That doesn't matter. What is the walk of faith? The walk of integrity, of honesty. It's, it's simple. Not always easy, but it's simple, right? With immorality, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. What does that look like? It means that I know everyone in high school is doing it. I know everyone that's dating is doing it. I know that everybody is living together, all these things. But the walk by faith says, no, I'm not going to do that because I, my integrity matters and my purity matters before God. And so I'm going to, it might cost me the boyfriend. He wants me, he want, he's pushing me further than I'm comfortable going. The guys at the office are sending the email and they're, they're not really inviting me into this anymore because they, I'm not looking at this and I'm not going out to the clubs. It might cost you something. But that's what the walk of faith, that's the risk, right? That's what it is, walking by faith, right? The person that's wounded you or hurt you and you're still bitter and you're still angry. And so walking by faith means you're going to release that because Ephesians 4 says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving. Why? Because Christ has forgiven you. That's not easy. Ex-spouse, competitor in business, nasty guy in high school who's just slaying on you, whatever it is. But the walk by faith says, I'm going to trust you, God, that vengeance is yours, and I'm not going to seek it. Let you deal with it, and I'm going to, I'm going to walk by faith. Right? We're on the TV late at night. Computer. That pop-up comes. That email comes. That show comes on that, that you know is not good. Right? It's called Sex in the City. It's not good. Okay? The title tells you, change the channel. But no one's around you can do walk by faith says off out turn it off pop up that that's that's what we're talking about someone snapchats you something asks for a picture right it's just real quick real simple but block them take it to me i'll take bring it to me i'll take a picture uh, it'll be a good picture uh, <laughs> it'll be with me with one of our cops right I'm kind of serious about that, too. Your parents are just, they don't understand. It's unfair. They, want, they say no to me. I, I asked if I could go do this, and they say no because they don't think it's wise. And, and they just don't get what it's like to be a teenager these days. They just don't understand. They do understand. They were a teenager. They didn't have Instagram. They had yearbooks. But they still understand what it means to be a teenager. Okay? <laughs> Writing on your wall meant, oh, here, would you sign my yearbook? Right? But we get it. But a walk by faith means I'm not going to pal, I'm not going to complain about my parents to my friends and my parents not fair. As you drive your $20,000 car and they pay for your car insurance and feed your tail. But they're not, it's not fair. They don't love me. Yeah, I can't go to the movies on a Thursday night. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little bitter right now. <laughs> this is not from experience. I'm just, 
I just know where you're at, okay? <laughs> but the point is, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm talking to a lot of you, you know, teenagers because, y'all, you're making decisions now that your walk of faith will be, you're, you're making huge decisions, you just don't realize it. It's going to be hard. You got to take up your cross. You have to deny yourself. You have to stand alone, right? But, but it's the path to life. You want to lose it now? I mean, save it now so you lose it, or you want to lose it now so you can save it? For all of us. You got some deep addiction, unconfessed sin, whatever. And it feels like if I come out, I'm going to lose everything. But the scriptures say if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. And it cleanses for all unrighteousness. The, the, the hidden transgression will actually destroy you. Exposing it and bringing light there is actually the place of healing. And that's a walk of faith for some of y'all. Right? Because it's been going on for X amount of you know, years. That's the beginning of life. It, what we want to get, y'all, is it's... Yeah, yeah, we want to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the walk of faith is not some deep intellectual deal. It is responding to the truth, even one step at a time. One step. That's the whole idea of a walk anyway. It's one step. Right? It's, not, it's, not a mar- it's a marathon, but it's not a, it's not a sprint. And it's just, what does is, what is the Word of God say? This is why for our, our kind of, our, we equip people and we have those five core values, the specs. That first one is Scripture, that we are a people who place ourselves under the authority of the Word. We know the Word. We love the Word. We obey the Word. That's faith comes from hearing, hearing by the Word of Christ. We're just responding to the Word. That's what we want to be. That's what a follower is. That's where we want to go. Right? And she has a little bit of truth and she responds to it. Some of you brand new Christians, you're like, I don't know anything. You know enough to respond to that. And why would God give you deeper knowledge if you're not responding to the simple stuff anyway? Right? Respond to what you know. That's faith. That's the first lesson we get from her. Here's the second one, and I love this one, is that your past failures do not determine your future. Right? Because for some of you, your past haunts you. Right? I mean, you know, you're like... There's things in my past that no one knows, whether it's, you know, there's all sorts of stuff. There's guilt, there's shame, right? You're like, you know, you're on your third marriage or, or you know, had an abortion when I was in college. I mean, all those things are, they weigh heavy. And what you need to get from this story is that God is a redeeming God. He's a God who restores. Here's a woman who her entire life has lived a shady existence. And now she becomes part of the family of God. You go just a few chapters forward. It says, Rahab the prostitute, her father's house, and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. This is after Jericho falls. And she has lived in Israel to this day. The writer Joshua is writing this kind of at the end. He's like, she still lives here. She's down there on Main Street. Because she hid the messengers. She's now part of the people of God. And, 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 you know, and it doesn't, we don't get a lot of details on, on kind of how this works, but she joins the people of God. At some point, she joins, like, you know, IsraelSingles.com. She meets herself a little, a little man. He's, he smells like fish. His name's Salmon, right? Uh, he does, his name really is Salmon. I don't, you know, I don't know if he smells like fish, but he, it is Salmon. And, and this little couple, they, they get married, and they get themselves a little house, right? And then they have children, it's, they have a little boy, and, and his name is Boaz. Know that name? 
Boaz was a guy who knew how to treat a lady well because he wooed a little lady named Ruth to be his wife. Think about this. Here's a woman who abused her body her entire life, and she ends up raising a young man who knows how to treat a woman right. And he woos this woman Ruth, and Ruth becomes the father of Obed, who becomes the father of Jesse, who becomes the father of David, the king. Rahab the harlot is the great, 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 great grandma of David the king. And if you go down even further down the line, Matthew highlights it, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, of David, and then he goes down to the end of that chapter, Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary of whom Jesus was born. Not only is he related to David, she is in the messianic line. So God takes a woman who abused her body and used her body and sold her body, and he brings the Messiah through that line. That is redemption. And he cleanses her so that when, when she gets to heaven, she's looking at her grandson, and he is the king of the universe. How good is that? How good is that? She is cleansed. She is washed. Y'all, that is why Jesus came, to rescue, redeem, and transform sinners. It's, it's beautiful. And if that, look, if, if, if Rahab coming in here bothers you, then let me just tell you, then you don't get the gospel. Because this is what Jesus does. If, we, if it bothers you, then you would not have liked Jesus in his ministry. Because he hung out with the tax collectors and the sinners. Right? And we, we, we read that and we're like, amen, God bless that. But we don't get the dirtiness of that. And, and that's the beauty of what the church is. Jesus does. He takes and cleanses and washes. It's not Rahab the harlot. It is Rahab the righteous. That's what it is. That's what the gospel does when someone comes to faith. Now, does is, is that mean she can go and live her life as a harlot in Israel? No. He's changed, he's changed her. She's a new creature. Old things have passed away. And, and once you come to faith, God is going to change you. He's going to move you. Now, you're going to still be fallen and sin and broken, but you're not going to be perfect. But there's a change, and she is new. Right? Beautiful picture of really what the entire Bible is about. That's why, even though it's kind of a parenthesis in Joshua, it's, it's the story of the gospel. And you cannot miss the symbolism I mean, even in this story, I don't know if you caught it, right? How do they escape? How does Rahab's family escape destruction? Everyone get in the room. Stay in the room. Put the cord outside. What color is the cord? Scarlet cord. It sounds exactly like something that happened 40 years earlier when the people of Israel are in Egypt and he says, destruction is coming. How do you escape? Get in the room. Put the blood on the door. And when I come, I will pass over. What happens for, for Jericho? Get in the room. Put the cord, the color of blood, out the window. And when I, we come by, you'll escape destruction. It's, and it's not by accident. It's scarlet. Scarlet's red. Though your sins be as scarlet, they will be whiter than snow. It's just a picture all the way through the Old Testament through what Jesus would accomplish, y'all. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel. And her past, because of her faith, has been redeemed. She is rescued. She escapes destruction. She is made new. 
and God uses her. And, and if, that's, if you're here this morning and you're like, the guilt, the shame, the past, even the past of this week, need to, we're going to have a time of, of celebrating the Lord's table in a little bit. It's a time to reflect on Jesus paying for your sins. That's why he came. Now, he doesn't want you to stay there, but when you fail, there is forgiveness. There is redemption if there's true faith. Not just the intellectual, yeah, I believe Jesus is God, and I'm going to go do what I want. No, if there's a true faith, a trust in what he has done, a repentance of sin, she repents, she turns. Her life has changed. She's turning from her sin, and she's now pursuing the God of Israel. If that has taken place, you, you can approach that throne of grace and find mercy. I don't want you to let the enemy convince you that you're X, Y, and Z, because he will. That's, that's, his, that's one of the prime things he does. As soon as you fall, he tempts you to sin. As soon as you fall, he's attacking. He's the accuser of the brethren. Look what you did. You're not a Christian. You're a this. You're a that. And what you have to do is you have to go back to what Christ has done. Yes, I have done this. But, but, but God, the gospel says he has forgiven me. That whoever is in Christ is a new creature. All things have passed away. When he has received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. And you go back to the truth and you cling to those promises. Don't let your past limit your future. And then here's the last thing. It's real simple, but it's, I think it's real obvious. Is your faith, walking by faith, is, is one that invites others into your faith. It just is. Church is to go into all the world, to preach the gospel, to make disciples of all nations. It is a personal thing, but it is not private. Can you imagine Rahab's like, which family members don't I want to invite? And cousin Larry was a jerk at Thanksgiving last year. We'll leave him outside. Um, no, she, I guarantee she packed her little room with everybody she could get in there. Get in the room. Get in the room. Get in the room. Get in the room. Ours is a faith that invites other sinners into the grace and joy that we have experienced. And if that's not, that's our E, y'all, on our specs. Engaged with the culture for the sake of the gospel. If you're not active in at least praying for the lost and, and pursuing opportunities to, to share Christ to, or to invite people. I mean, high school students, invite, invite your folks to eat free pizza and come hang out with, with Talava on Wednesday night. You don't know how the gospel might, might just land on their hearts if God is moving. Or invite them to a young life thing. Or college students, you know, bringing them into the college thing. Or come here or over your, over your house and just building relationships so that you have an opportunity to invite people or just to see your faith. It's a relational thing, but this is what we're called to do. We're not called to have our little holy huddle and everyone's great. Everyone's got their own seat and a cup of coffee. We go, remember we gather to equip, we grow, those are our specs, so that we can go and be the church. It's, we don't just sit here. We go. That's the call. So we're inviting. Our faith is inviting. It's, it's contagious. It's multiplying. That's what we want to be. That's the lessons from this harlot from Jericho. It's not how much you know. It's what you do with what you know. Don't let your past limit your future. Ours is an inviting faith, and we want to be an inviting church. And let me challenge you. If someone comes in that's different than you, someone comes in that you're like, that's a sinner. There's, a, there's like about 712 of y'all in the room right now. Uh, Invite them in. Give them a hug. Love on them. Invite them out to lunch. Invite them to your community group. That's what Jesus would have done. Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. Matthew, 
tax collector, hated, come after me. Woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. Woman at the well, been married multiple times, right? Where's her husband? She interacts with her. She goes and tells the whole village about it. That, that's, that's the people we want to be, right? So we're going we're gonna to move to a time where we celebrate the table together. And if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, whether you're a member of our church or a member of another, this is a time for you to celebrate the gospel, the good news that Christ died for our sins and that he rose again. And, and, and we're going to take a piece of bread. It's an unleavened bread. And that unleavened bread is purposeful because leaven in the scripture often pictures sin. And Jesus' body was sinless. And that bread that you're going to hold is pierced and bruised, just like the body of Christ was pierced and bruised. And then we're going to drink of a cup, which pictures the, the shedding of Jesus' blood, because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So when you hold these elements, they're just symbols, but they are significant symbols. And I want you to remember, we're going to have a time of confession. If, you're, if you had a past this week or this morning, this is your time to just search your heart. And, and Paul says, search your heart. It's not that he's, he's inviting you to the table, but he's inviting you to come in a way that's thankful and that's humble. And it's not like regarding sin in your heart. You're not like, well, I'm just going to go out right after this and do the same. No, that you're actually confessing your sin and, and he is faithful and just to forgive. And so if you're a Christian this morning, we, we invite you to celebrate. And these guys are going to hand it out and I want you to hold on to it because I'm going to come back up and we're going to take it together as the church, together. If you're not a Christian... We just ask you to kind of abstain for right now because these are, these are symbols that, that are meaningful to those who have put their faith in Christ. There's nothing magic in them, but it is, it is significant for those who have experienced forgiveness of sin because of their faith. And then we'll worship. And then we'll go and we'll be God's church. So you guys bow. I'm going to read reading this this morning in my devotions, and it's a, just a prayer from the Valley of Vision. It's actually the prayer from the Valley of Vision. This one part struck me again. I've read it a bunch of times, but I love this part. And he says, the writer says this, let me learn by paradox that the way down is the way up, that to be low is to be high, that the broken heart is the healed heart, that the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit, that the repenting soul is the victorious soul, that to have nothing is to possess all, that to bear the cross is to wear the crown, that to give is to receive, that the valley is the place of vision. Father, just as we worship through the table and then as we uh, worship through singing, just let us be a people who are confessing our sins, repenting, and, and, and trusting in your sacrifice for us. Let us walk by faith. Let us not be limited by our past. Let us be inviting to those who don't know you. And let us be just responding to the truth that we know. May this just be a special time, Lord, where your church remembers you. For your name's sake.